Well, amen. I know uh, firsthand, singing that last song, uh, your grace, there we go, your grace still amazes me. I'm thinking, why in the world God will allow a sinful man to present his word? Amen. And, uh, but if not, there would be no men available. Amen. <laughs> oh. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today. Philippians chapter 2, uh, that's going to be page 8, nope, page 980 in the blue Bible in front of you. Uh, the blue Bibles are now a little bit further to reach than last week, right? Something's different. I don't know what it is. I'll figure it out later, I'm sure. But um, if you're a member here, you know this all too well. But if you're new or if you have never heard this before, uh, those blue Bibles are our gift to you if you don't have one. If you know someone doesn't have one, uh, take that with you. We'll gladly replace it. We have to order more regardless uh, because now each chair has a spot for those Bibles, um, whereas previously there was only a few spots in the pews. Um, is that rattling me? Do I hear something? Okay. All right. So we're in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church of Philippi. At this time, when he wrote this, is that not me? Pull it back a little bit. Is this better? Testing one, two. Okay. Trying to create as distraction-free as possible, right? I'm, I'm enough distractions. We don't need sound issues from, from me. Uh, where was I? So Paul, he's in prison at this moment. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, okay? And so I'm thankful he was in prison at this time because had he not been in prison, he would have gone to the church and spoke to them just like I'm speaking to you today. And someone may have written it down, but somebody probably wouldn't have. But because he was in prison, he had to write it down and send it. And when the, the church in uh, Philippi got it, now, now I'm speculating, I could study more, but they probably copied it and sent it on to other churches saying, hey, wow, this really helped us. Here's a copy for you. I think you'll love it. And that church probably copied it and said, hey, we're going to keep the one that the church in Philippi sent us, but here's a copy. And, we went, and it just it went crazy. And then eventually made its way into the Bible, praise God. Um, so I'm thankful for that. So we're going to start chapter 2, uh, verse 1. We're going to work our way through 13. And before we do that, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to pray as well. Pray for distractions to clear your mind, clear your hearts, so we can focus on God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Um, speaking to us, to guide us, to correct us, to love us. Lord, thank you for your abounding grace. Lord, in, in this time, in this worship hour, I pray that you would clear our hearts of distractions, Lord. And Lord, starting with me, that you would uh, clear my mind of anything else but your word. Lord, may the words that come out of my mouth today would be uh, for your glory and nothing for myself. It's in your, your name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to read through 1 through 13, and then we're going to break down kind of each verse as we go. So I don't really have any, I'm not a good Southern Baptist today. I don't have three points. I'm, yes, I'm sorry. If you're taking notes, there are not three points. Uh, there's one point, and it's what Christ did for others. That's the one point. So let's look at verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not in not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So let's go all the way back to the top of verse 1. So we see some if statements here, right? He starts with, so if, if there is any encouragement in Christ, okay, so v- one very important note here is Paul's not saying, if there is encouragement in Christ, no, he's saying, because there is encouragement in Christ, or since there is encouragement in Christ. I kind of made this little note. How many have, have either said or heard, if you live in my house, you live by my rules? They're not saying, your, your parents aren't saying, well, if you live in my house, they're saying, because you live in my house, you see what I'm saying? That's what Paul's saying here. Because there is encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from love, because there is participation in the Spirit, because there is affection and sympathy in Jesus, he says, because of those things, because as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a born-again believer, you have those things. So because of that, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Right? Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in the full accord and of one mind. Now he's telling them this because when the gospel transforms humans, so lost sinners become saved sinners, right? When that transformation happens, when the gospel transforms our hearts, it should be unbelievable to those around us. It should be evident to those around us. People should look at the church and say, what is with those people? I'm not saying that we should be crazy, okay? I'm saying they should see something different about us. Why do we get along? Why do Steve, Rob, and I get along? We are a few years, just a few years apart, and yet we can sit down and have coffee or have lunch and talk all day and hash out what we're going through or anything else. And someone comes in a restaurant and sees us and says, why do those two hang out? Why do those two get along so well? It's because we are united in Christ. And when someone sees a group of Christians not getting along, okay, whether it's one church or the bigger church, when non-Christians see that, when the lost in our community see that, they doubt the entire gospel. 
So when Christians, when I, when I, Darren, go into the community and I'm not reflecting Christ to them because my life's not changed, they're wondering if the gospel is even powerful. That's what Paul's telling them. He's saying, hey, you guys have to be unified. So we are to be of one mind. So here's the question. He's telling us, be of one mind. So the question is, well, whose mind do we go after? Do we go after the pastor? And the pastor's seminary trained, years of experience. Surely that's the mindset we have to have. Or chairman of the deacons. They were like, ah, that's somebody that's been in this church for a long time that we can trust. Let's have his mindset, right? Or maybe it's that long time, sweet, cherished member. We're like, ah, that's who we need to have the mindset of. But we'll find out in a few verses who we really need to um, have the mindset of. But it's important at this point to point out being of one mindset doesn't mean we're all carbon copies, right? We're a church. God has combined us together with different skills, talents, spiritual gifts. I, <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but my biggest fear when I'm going to preach is that my mic is not muted when I'm singing. <laughs> you guys would, you would be yelling at the sound booth, turn, turn him off, turn him off. <laughs> But I'm thankful we do have a worship team that can sing, right? And if you're not thankful, then we'll see you up here next week. But, yeah, see, now I got you. But I'm thankful that we all have different gifts and talents. And so it's important to know that uh, we can have different spiritual gifts, different talents, different expressions of worship. Some of us will never raise our hands in worship. We, we will not. Some of us are fighting to hold back, right? Just, ah, I've got to. Got to move a little bit. The Spirit's in me. That's fine. And most importantly, well, maybe not most importantly, but also different methods of serving. Some of us will die in the light, right? We're like, no, I'll serve behind the scenes. I'll help out any way I can. But please, I don't want to be in front of anybody. That's amazing. Some of you are like, man, I just want to lead people. I, I just, I got to get in front of people. I have to help them. I want to. That's awesome right? And there's so many other different ways. So being of one mind is not all being the same people. It's not all serving the same way. It's not all worshiping the same way. So we'll get to it in a second. Look at verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Now, to be honest, a good associate pastor finds easy scripture that everybody's going to love. It's real encouraging. I am not a good associate pastor. This, this hurt my toes in sermon prep, okay? So I'm sorry if it hurts yours, but trust me, my toes are bruised first. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So what, what does this mean? It means nothing out of arrogance, nothing out of pride, nothing with an inflated ego, okay? Here's some examples. This is where your toes might start to hurt. I apologize, but also not really. Do not consider yourself more important than others. The opposite or the same sentence would be consider others more important than yourself. Right? Do not do anything to be recognized. 
do not do anything to be recognized. That's kind of countercultural, isn't it? I mean, now it's we're good at sports so we can be famous, right? We're good at arts so our names and our art will be recognized. Or we give lots of money to the school of our choice so we can have a building named after us. That's the culture we live in. The Bible says to not do that necessarily. So strive to not be recognized. All right, toe cruncher, here we go. If we as a church lay aside our preferences, many of our issues would be eliminated. That's myself first, okay? This is what hurts my toes this week. If we lay aside our preferences, the church would eliminate the vast majority of her issues. But what's, what's the point? Why get rid of our preferences? Why push others first? Why recognize others and, and stay hidden behind the curtain ourselves? It's because the lost people in the community around us and the lost people in this room even are at stake. The non-Christians in our community are at stake. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And in a few verses, in sixes, uh, verses 6 through 8, we'll see the life of Jesus. And then uh, we won't cover 19 through 20 today, but in the same chapter, verses 19 through 20, you may make that note, uh, talk about Timothy and his character and how it's known. But the point is, um, it is the Christian faith, Christians, in this time period, that made the word others important. Up to this point, no religion made others important. No group, no social club made others important. In fact, it was the exact opposite. Up to this point, you had your social clubs and your groups and your friend groups or whatever, your elite groups, they're like-minded people. They were the same social status, same amount of money in their bank accounts that would get together. Up to this point in time, it was crazy for a group like this to get together and be together and consider each other equals, right? So he's telling them, Christians have to consider others more important than ourselves. Now, I do love that he says this. Um, look not only to your own interest. So he's not saying neglect yourself. Take care of yourself. Okay? But don't not take care of others. So don't neglect yourself, but do take care of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. So this is the answer we're wanting to answer, right? We were wondering whose mindset? Some of you already knew. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is interesting. This is something that uh, stood out to me from this passage. Through this, we see we're not called to imitate Jesus. We've heard that. I've heard that throughout my life in churches. We have to imitate Christ. We have to uh, follow his direction. We do it to follow him. But we're talking about adapting his mindset 
We're changing our mindset. It's not our mindset trying to be like him. We will, we will fail miserably. We have to let him take over our mind, take over our hearts, let him into us and change our lives drastically. I thought that was a key point there. It's not just Jesus coming in and changing us slightly to make us a little bit better version. It's him coming in us and taking over our mind. So our mindset should be like the mindset of Jesus. Here's a couple of things that Jesus did and things that we, ch- are, are, that we struggle with, okay? None of us, me first, are naturally humble or naturally meek as we see throughout Scripture. We see that word more often. None of us are naturally that way. We all want our opinion heard, right? We all want to be heard. We all want proper status and respect. I've said that to myself just in the last six months. I just want the respect that I'm owed. And I'm reading this and I'm like, oh man, there's mother toes. None of us want to be ignored, right? Let's say we're in a business meeting and here's my idea. And we're like, nah, that hurts a little bit. I've sat in many meetings at this church, not this church, I mean, other churches, right? No, I'm just kidding. It really was other churches. And uh, <laughs> I'm fired. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I sat down with my previous pastor and we have about a staff of like six, my old church. And we sit down. And I was like, what about this idea? And they're like, no. And they move on just like that. And I'm like, I thought it was a good idea, <laughs> you know? And maybe it wasn't, maybe it was, who cares? But it hurts a little bit to be ignored, right? And nobody wants to be offended, right? Especially in 2020. I mean, everything's offensive, right? Someone told me tall the other day, and I was offended. No, I'm just kidding. That was dumb. I'm sorry. But, so we want our opinions heard. We want to be, be respected. We don't want to be ignored. We don't want to be offended. But if we lay all that aside and say, I don't care, as long as the glory of God is proclaimed, I don't care. When we do that, we're laying aside our preferences for the lost people in our community and the lost people in this room. So Jesus gives us the perfect example. So now as we go into verse 6, here are kind of seven, oops, I do have points. Here are seven sub-points of, uh, of what we call the humiliation of Jesus. Now, this isn't like the, the making fun of, this is the act of humility, okay? So this is the seven steps of the humiliation of Jesus. In verse 6, what do we see? We see this. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He left heaven. Jesus, he wasn't, we say he's God's son, right? Which makes him sound kind of less God-ish. No. We believe he is part of the Trinity, equally God with God the Father. There is no more God than Jesus, right? He is God. He left heaven willingly and joyfully to come to earth to die. In Hebrews 12, it says, for the, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. He's in heaven as God and says, you know what? I'm going to willingly 
and joyfully leave here in a perfect world. Now remember, he's in heaven as God with all the angels and saints praising him. Right? And says, I'm going to leave this. That's step one. Verse seven. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Now there's some debate as to what he emptied himself of, but we believe he emptied himself of the grandeur. So he came to earth born in a manger, right? In a barn. This is God. God came to earth, not even in the inn, not even in a hospital, not even in a clinic, in a barn. Now talk about earned and owed respect. It was Jesus. Not only that, look who showed up. Who, who, who showed up to the birth of Jesus? A couple of shepherds, right? A lousy turnout for God on earth. That's humbling. So that's number two. He emptied himself of grandeur. Three, still in verse seven, he came in the form of a servant. Now here's what's cool, okay? I'm not going to lie. I like to go back in that time period in my mind. I could have hired Jesus to come and fix my house. Got a roof leak. Uh, you may say roof leak. I apologize. <laughs> Sorry. You have a roof leak. You can call Jesus the master carpenter to come fix it. Okay? This is the time period that this is this is his life on earth. He was working on doorways and walls. He was a carpenter by trade. The God of the world could have been hired to fix a wall at your house. Literally. Isn't that crazy? Crazy. That's humbling. He should have been up there having people work for him, praising him, loving him, bowing down to him. And instead, he's making deals with people on the price of a wall repair. And he became like man. And this is really interesting. So we're still in verse 7. He became like man. Now, as a man, I'm like, that's not too bad. There are worse things in this world to be, right? Be a cockroach. Man's not that bad. If you had to pick one thing in the earth to be man and woman, not that bad, right? But if you're God, perfect God, man is <laughs> several steps down, right? He's in heaven as God, with the perfect body, perfect mind, no back aches, no allergies, right? Comes to earth as man. Vernon McGee, he talked about this story one time when covering this scripture when he was preaching. He said this, and this is kind of a rough paraphrase, so I apologize to him in advance. He said he had ants in his house, and they were walking on the counter to a sugar bowl, and he did not like that. He doesn't hate ants, right? He's like, well, ants are fine. They can be in my yard for all I care. Not on my kitchen counters. That's just kind of gross. So he did some research to, to humanely deal with them. 
Well, that didn't work. So he had an exterminator friend came out and killed him. And he said to the exterminator, you know, I don't mind ants being in the yard. I just don't want them in the kitchen. I wish there was a way for me to tell them, hey, stay out in the yard. I'll put a bowl of sugar out there for you. But I can't communicate to the ants, not here, but here. He said, I can't do it. He said, but if there was a way I could communicate that to them, I would. But the only way for him to do that, and it's a little crazy, hang with me. The only way for him to do that is to become an ant, go to the leader, and say, hey, I'm actually the owner of this house in ant form. If you go that way, you can live and prosperous. I'm going to put out a sugar bowl for you. But if you stay here, I'm going to kill you. Okay? And he says, if I could do that, I wouldn't. Why would I want to become an ant? Someone might step on me. Someone might kill me. I don't want to be an ant. Even more so, by a billion times more crazy and amazing, is that God became man. That's more amazing than us becoming an ant, us becoming a cockroach, whatever. God became man. Verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we've got three points in this one. He was, oh, he humbled himself. Now look, we've all been humbled, right? We've all been humbled. Something's happened and we were humbled. How many of us can humble ourselves? Uh, nah, we can't do it. We get humbled. Jesus humbled himself. So before he stuck his foot in his mouth, right, as we do, he said, you know what? I'm just going to humble myself. I'm going to step back and humble myself. He was obedient to death. Now here's what's crazy. How many of you heard, heard the saying, death is natural? Who's heard that? Death is natural. What if I told you it's not? Death is normal, but it's not natural. Okay? Now this is something that kind of blew my mind. Going, through. So this is like preaching to myself here, I promise. God never intended humans to die. That was never his intention. He wanted us to live prosperous with him on earth, enjoying the glory that he created. Now we know from my last sermon several weeks ago that sin causes physical death. I'll read this to you. Genesis 3, 17-19 Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which I commanded you do not eat from it, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by the means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat of the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. So the first word is because, and the last five words are, you will return to dust. Because you sinned, there are some punishments, and you will die. Because you sinned, you will die. 
God never intended us for, for us to die. So go back to Jesus, right? Quit making this about ourselves. God became man to the point of being so obedient to die. A physical death. That's pretty humbling. And lastly, so we have the first point. He left heaven. That was humbling. He emptied himself of grandeur. That was humbling. He came in the form of a servant. He came like man. He humbled himself. And he was obedient to death. So far we have six steps of the humiliation of Jesus. Number seven. He was obedient to death, even to the point of on a cross. Now it's one thing for God to die an easy death. No. He knowingly, joyfully came here, knowing he was going to die on a cross. Far more humiliating than any other death. This is the way the Romans designed it. They wanted this to be a statement. They wanted it to be clear as day to everybody. Don't be a heretic. Don't be a criminal. We will embarrass you and kill you. So there's our seven steps. So why? Why did God become man, live as man, which is not as good as being God, then die as man, and even to the point of dying on the cross. Why did he do that? Why did he die an agonizing death and he didn't have to? Simply for others. He died for the lost in our community. Right? For the non-Christians in our community and the lost people in this room. That's why he did it. That's why he left heaven, became man, was humbled on earth, humbled himself on earth, died, died on a cross for others. Gave up every preference he had. Didn't keep a single one. So what happened next? Well, enter God the Father into the story. God the Father brings Jesus exactly seven levels back up. So we saw the seven steps of humiliation of Jesus. Now God the Father comes in and says, I got you. Here we go. Verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So step one, he exalted him. That means to give Raise in power or raise in respect. Okay? Raise in rank. And secondly, he gave him the name above all other names. Now, this comes in two ways his name. Literally, the name Jesus is above all other. Those five letters are above any other name. I don't care how cool your name is, whatever you may think your name is cool or not, Jesus is better. Literally. And in position, his title of Jesus, of Lord, of Christ, is above all other. In Matthew one twenty one, it says this, She will give birth, talking about Mary, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He is the Savior. 
And fourthly, we see in verse 10. So verse 10 says this, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So we see three things in one verse real quick. Things of heaven will bow to him. Now, we understand that to be common sense, right? We know Jesus is God. We know that he is God of heaven and God of all things, of earth and below the earth. But to these people reading this, Jesus is a man first, God second, because they know him personally, right? He just existed not long ago. So to them, hearing things of heaven will bow to Jesus, that's like, wow, the angels and saints will bow to him? Yes. The earth will bow to him. Things of earth will bow to him. Now, we're not saying Christians will bow to him. They will. All things will bow to him. And sixthly, things of hell will bow to him. Now, we'll make two notes here. Very important to know. This does not mean all will be saved in the end times. This is not saying all in hell will go, Oh, Jesus is God. I'm sorry. Let me go up there. Unfortunately, it is too late for those in hell. Those in hell will recognize Jesus as God, but they will not praise him. They will not surrender to his will. Which will, in turn, my second subpoint of subpoint number seven, those in hell will acknowledge it, which will make their suffering even worse. They will be forever doomed in hell. Knowing without a doubt Jesus is God, and they missed the boat. Which is why it's important for us to lay down our preferences for the lost people in our community. So we've seen Jesus take seven steps down, right? The seven steps of the humiliation of Jesus. And we've seen God the Father fully restore him back to full glory. So we know what God did, and we know now that we're called to have his mindset, right? We had that part ironed out. If not, I'll re-preach it, and we'll get out of here about 11.30. We got it? Okay, wow, that's amazing how you guys got it so quick. So we know what God did. We know we have to have his mindset. And if we do not have his mindset, if we as Christians, okay, I'm speaking to professing believers in Jesus. If we do not adapt his mindset, we're doing two things. A, we're neglecting the command of God. We've seen it right here in scripture. We are to have the mindset of Jesus. If we don't, we're neglecting the command of God. And B, toe cruncher, we're saying our lives, our preferences are more important than those of Jesus. Jesus was God, is God, gave it all up for a little bit, came to earth as fully God, fully man, lived as man, gave up all the preferences of heaven, and died for others. And if I, Darren, cannot give up some of my preferences 
for the kingdom. That is me saying, well, my preferences are more important than those of Jesus. I've already had my confession time on Friday. I knew the sermon was coming. So I know the feeling you have right now of, ooh, I got to get that right. So I know where you are right now. So now what? So we know what God did. We know what Jesus did. We know the command. We know the result if we neglect it, right? So now the question is how? How do we go forward? We need to be unified by laying aside our desires. We know we should do it because God commanded it and because Jesus did it. So now we look at verse 12. What's verse 12 say? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul, in prison, writing to the church of Philippi, writing to a group of Christians, and says, keep obeying God's will. Keep going. You can do this. Keep obeying God's will. But listen very carefully here, and don't go out saying, to non-Christians, you have to work out for your faith. He says, work out your salvation. Work out your faith. He doesn't say, work to get salvation. He says, it's kind of that if thing we had earlier. Because you are a Christian, because you are saved, because you have faith, then work. He says, don't work to be saved which was also kind of crazy in this time period, okay? Even so now, he says, because God saved you, work. Well, here's two applications to working it out. First, internally, dealing with you and yourself first. You have to adapt the mindset of Jesus. Let him come in, take over your mind, and let him lead you. And then focus on others. So you have to personally say, Jesus, take over my mind, dwell upon me, dwell in me, and let's conquer the world. Let's go love others. Let's go serve others literally. Then, secondly, as to how we work it out, we work it out, so that was internally, this is externally, or together as a church, as a group, okay? Once we each become Christians and say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Then we can get together and serve. If a bunch of lost people get together, they can serve the community, but not for the glory of God. You can say, we're, I'll use some other church as an example. You can say we're Trinity Lutheran Church. So clearly not us. I apologize if there is one in this area named that. I don't know. But let's say it's full of non-Christians. Okay, see, now I'm in, self, I'm in trouble. I'm not saying Lutherans are not Christians. I'm just saying, you know, not us. You get my point. So let's say they all go out and they're non-Christians, but they, they are a church. You know, the IRS recognizes them as a church. They're a 501c3 nonprofit. 
and they're wearing t-shirts with crosses on it, but none of them are following Jesus. They go out in the community, raking leaves, serving those around them, helping those that are homeless, whatever else. If they don't have Jesus, it's not promoting the glory of God. So we have to work it out internally, and then together, wide, we adapt the mindset of Jesus, and then together, we can focus on others. Who are the others? New people, guests, non-Christians living next door in whichever direction. And those across our community, the neighbors to our physical church building, the neighbors to each member of the church. That's the community. Those that you work with, those in class next to you, those you interact with at the store, cashiers, clerks, waitresses, waiters, hostesses. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his, for his good pleasure. So you're off the hook. You don't have to be a superstar. You don't have to be an amazing human being. It's God that's going to do the work in you if you just let him in. If you just let him take over your mindset, he's going to take care of everything. This is our favorite word of 2020, a mandate right, for Christians. This is a command by God to Christians to love to sacrifice for, to lay aside our preferences for the non-Christians in our community and the lost people in this room. And listen to this last note. God will never, ever talk to you about your actions before you're a Christian. If you are a sinner right now in this room or listening on a podcast who knows when, God's never going to talk to you about your actions. He will convict your sin, yes. All he wants you to do is follow him and surrender to his will. Okay, Christian in the room, once you become a Christian, now he's talking to you about your actions. Now he's talking to you about what you're doing. Non-Christian, all he's saying is follow me. Follow me. And once he has you in his hand forever, nothing can take you from that. Now it's like, all right, Now let's work on what you're doing. So don't think if you're a non-Christian, you have to get something right before you can go to God. You can't. That's why he never talks to you about your actions. So it's important for you to know for yourself and as you do outreach in our community. And he says this. I love the way he ends verse 13. For his good pleasure. All things for the glory of God. We are not here to promote the name of Trinity Baptist Church. We are not here to promote anything else. Trinity Baptist Church is a good thing. The Southern Baptist Convention is a good thing. Our Southeast Kansas Local Association is a good thing. Our State Convention is a good thing. We want to work with those things. But everything is for the glory of the Father. So as the worship team comes forward, hang with me. If you are a Christian, you are commanded by God to allow Jesus to transform your mind. The gospel should 
transform your actions, your mindset, your entire way of life. should transform everything. By proclaiming to be a Christian and not being transformed, you're smearing the gospel to those in the community. If you are a Christian, focus on the non-Christians in our community and the lost people in this room. When anything comes up in your life, anything, those are the first people you should think about, the lost people. How will what I say affect lost people? How will what I do affect the lost people? How will my statement, how will this post on Facebook, how will me going to this event affect the lost people in our community? If you're not a Christian, if you're in this room or listening online later in time, if you're not a Christian, consider the result of being one of those people in sub point seven of being in hell, seeing Jesus as God, bowing to him, and that's the last time you see him. The last time you see him, if you're in hell, is when you look up, you see Jesus as God, you bow to him, and as you're bowing, you'll never see him again. So I pray you get it right now, because you're not promised another second. You often hear preachers say, you may die in a car wreck home. You may die before these people finish a song, right? If you're listening online to a podcast later on, you may not be hearing this part right now because you already died. I don't know. It's funny, but, you know, it's serious. If you would stand with us, I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn it over to you guys. Um, remember these words this week. Let's stand. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, um, your Holy Spirit to guide us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, thank you for your abounding grace on my life and on the Christians in this room, Lord. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would love our community. Lord, I pray as a church, as members of your holy body, we would love the community. We would reach the lost, and we would make faithful disciples. Lord, you've given our pastor the goal of 1,000 faithful followers in our community. And that's a small dent of what is needed. Lord, I pray as a church, as we pursue that, Lord, that we would lay aside our preferences, that we would lay aside our desires, lay aside our goals. Lord, if we get offended, if, if we get ignored, Lord, help us say, I don't care if it's for your glory. Lord, thank you for loving us in all things. In your name I pray. Amen.